Good evening, folks. <clears throat> do want to be praying for our sister Eileen having surgery today. Brother Roger, you heard anything just lately? I called my whole clock and carried it back there about three. Yeah. Okay. So he said they called about four. They had taken her back three. She got delayed all day long. Uh, felt so sorry for her. I was down there until about two. And it still hadn't started on her. That's a hospital for you, I guess. I know there's good reasons sometimes. One reason was um, they, were, they were hoping that she had, uh, she had laid off some blood thinner. Uh, last week, but there was another one that she was taking that she didn't lay off. Uh, it's a lighter dose of blood thinner, but they discussed that. They, uh, well, I was in there, and the doctor walked in about 12 noon. He said, I think I'm going to have to put you off and reschedule you. And Eulene's face just went way sad. I mean, she, she just started crying because she didn't want to go back home and reschedule but they, they discussed it a little bit further and they felt like that the dose of blood thinner that she did take the last few days was low enough where they could manage, manage both during the surgery and afterwards. She will be taken to ICU um, tonight and hopefully get in a regular room tomorrow. She had part of her colon uh, removed because of a polyp that had grown to be pretty big. Um, so I want to remember her and uh, little Izzy, Keith, you have an update on little? They changed her antibody and she's thinking now that she might not have to do something. She might have to go use AD, but hopefully not now. And she's glad to see. If she don't need anything, I'll put a cue down there. Little Isabella's fighting a, a bad in, a bacterial infection. Uh, started with her kidneys and Went from there in, um, in Huntsville Hospital, but um, hopefully she won't have to be transferred to UAB. So anyway, that's just a sample really of those that we've been remembering in prayer or many others on our list. But before we get into class, let's go ahead and bow for prayer. Oh, Holy Father, we're grateful that we can call upon you, especially, Father, when our hearts are, are full of care and concern. And Father, we do pray for Eulene and that you bless her now as she's finishing up in surgery, that things have gone well, that her aftercare also will be very good, and that she may have the quickest recovery possible. Please bless her father and bless her family, bless Wendell and and uh, those looking after them. And Father, we pray for little Isabella and the terrible sickness she's had the last several days. Father, we just pray that you would watch over, help her little body to fight this and that she may be uh, better really uh, soon. Father, that reminds us of many on our list that we pray for uh, every day. And we ask, Father, that you be with them. Father, even those that are usually here on Wednesday night, some, we have some who are fighting flus and colds and, and viruses, and we pray you be, be, 
be with them, Father. Father, we're grateful that you give us this opportunity to get together and to, and to study. We're thankful that your word has been preserved for us over all these years. We, we're thankful for the times in which we live, Father. And we're thankful for the, for the opportunities that, that are before us. Father, we're also mindful of the great love you have for us. And Father, we're, we're mindful of the responsibility placed in our laps. Help us, Father, to, Father, to fulfill the great commission. Help us to look out around us, look out from ourselves, and look toward the needs of others. Help us to do our very best, Father, to share your word and to care for those around us. Especially do we pray, Father, for our little ones who are among us here at the congregation. Bless those who are studying in classes this evening. Father, we know that we go astray. And we sometimes we think things we ought not. Sometimes we say things we ought not. Sometimes, Father, we leave all things we ought to be doing. And Father, we come to you based solely on your mercy and the shed blood of our Lord and ask you to forgive us and that you would uh, help us to, to get back on the right track any time that we stray. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The big idea I want to explore with you this evening is that God always works through His Word. Always. He always works through His Word. We want to explore that together. Let me ask you though as we get started, what is the definition of the word subjective? We hear it sometimes, the word subjective. What does it mean when someone says, well, you're being subjective. Open to interpretation. Yeah, you're leaving something open to interpretation. Okay. Well, anything else you want to add to that when you think of the idea of subjective? Uh, it does have a lot to do with oneself. Uh, it covers the idea of uh, interpreting life through oneself, one's own moods, one's own attitudes, one's own opinions. Okay. So what is wrong with then with being subjective? If you're, if you're looking at life almost solely through your own ideals, your own opinions, your own attitudes, then, then how does that conflict with God? What do you think? God is objective. Okay. Um, what else would you say about it? Jeremiah said it's not in man. Walk directly not his ways. We don't think like God does. Okay. Think about that for a minute. Um, Mike is referring to Jeremiah ten twenty three, which is a good one to think about when you think about why it's wrong to be subjective. Jeremiah ten twenty three, it is not a man who walks to direct his own steps. And the way of man is not in himself. When it comes to our soul, we cannot trust ourselves and we cannot trust another man or another human being. Similar to that, Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so that is a lot of what's wrong with being subjective. Okay. And so... 
we want to focus on God always working through His Word. And um, we want to see that as, as it has happened over uh, periods of history. Okay. I want to make sure we place this emphasis uh, carefully. Okay. God's Word is unlike any other document, any other book that has been written or ever will be written. And the reason for that is because of the relationship. The relationship. Relationship adds the power. It adds the impact. Okay. Uh, suppose there's a soldier over in Afghanistan and, and he writes a very precious uh, letter home uh, to his daughter. And then years from now, years from now, that letter becomes part of a history book. Okay. or a companion to a history book. And then years from now, somebody is reading that, and they're touched by that, as they ought to be. Okay. But they would not be moved by that letter near as much as the, the father and the daughter because of the relationship that is there. That letter would mean much more to that daughter than it would to us due to the relationship that's involved. And so... The Word of God is intended and is written with the design to build a relationship between us personally and God. And so we don't read the Bible as a textbook or as a dictionary uh, per se, but rather as the Word of life. The Word of life. Philippians uh, 2, 15 and 16 speak of holding forth the Word of life. It's a relationship uh, book. And so we, we need to make sure we understand that as we move through uh, and as we explore uh, these ideas tonight. So God always works through uh, His Word. And let's look at different times in which that is made very clear. But let's start with creation itself. Number one, creation itself. We understand that God brought this world into existence with His words. With His words. Turn over with me to Hebrews 11. For uh, one second. Hebrews 11. This is the by faith chapter of the Bible. Hebrews 11 begins by faith. Hebrews 11 in verse uh, 3. By faith. Notice. Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand that the worlds have been framed by the word of God. So that what is seen has not been made out of things which do appear. God spoke these things into existence. So notice that we understand by faith that the worlds have been framed, have been made, created by the word of God. Now go back with me also to the book of Psalms. Go all the way back to Psalm number 33. Run all the way back to Psalm 33. Okay. What does verse 6 say in Psalm 33? Psalm 33 in verse uh, 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts stand by the breath of his mouth. Notice that. Very good. 
By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host by the breath of his mouth. Notice also verse number 9. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. And that, if you look at verses 7 and 8, talking, talking very definitely about the creation of the universe. He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. And we remember Genesis. We remember reading oftentimes Genesis 1 where God said, let there be light, and let there be this, and let there be that. And so just very simply, we see God working through his word in creation. One other passage, if you don't mind, about creation, because this relates to our relationship to God even closer. Turning over to New Testament again, Second uh, Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So in 2 Corinthians 4, notice verse 4 mentions how that the devil loves to blind the minds of the unbelieving so that the light of the gospel will not dawn upon them. Okay. So then noticing that, look at verse 6, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Seeing it is God that said, notice that, seeing it is God that said, light shall shine out of darkness, who shines in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What Paul's doing there, he's comparing the fact that God said, let there be light. And light came out of the darkness. And then also, the word of God today will bring us knowledge. And it will bring us the light that we need to come out of the darkness of sin. That's basically what he's saying there. So I think that's a beautiful comparison between God's original creation and then the creation uh, that he works in causing us to become new people causes us to become a new creation spiritually. Alright, so think about God always working through his word uh, in creation. Secondly though, uh, think about what God did in the beginning with Adam and Eve. How did God communicate what he wanted with Adam and Eve? How did he do that? Hmm? Yeah, he spoke to them. He commanded them, Genesis 2, 16 and 17, about the, uh, about the tree in the, in the middle, in the midst of the garden. Okay. What was special about that tree? Yeah, yeah. God said not to eat of that tree. Okay. And God set man uh, in the garden at that time to work the garden and to take care of it and then of every tree he may eat. But of that tree in the middle, uh, you shall not eat of it. Okay. Did God have the power to, to cause them uh, to put an impression upon their heart? For them to understand not to eat of that tree? Yeah, he had the power to do that. But as we will see, that's not what his will is. That's really not his nature. Okay. He had the power to, to make an impression come upon their hearts without speaking, without commanding them, but he uses words uh, to do his will there. Okay. So, 
Notice how, what he does in the beginning of time. And then think about, in the third place, uh, think about the times leading up to the flood. Okay. And how that man grew wicked. And how did God, what did God do to communicate his displeasure uh, with that? Okay. Well, turn, turn with me to Genesis chapter 6 right quick. Genesis uh, 6. And notice what God said to Noah. This was following the fact that it's recorded for us that the wickedness of man and the imaginations of his heart had grown uh, wicked continually. And then so in, as a result of that, notice Genesis 6.13, God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth, make thee an ark of gopher wood, and so forth. He goes. Okay. Now, was Noah a preacher? Did, did Noah preach God's words? Did, did Noah share God's words as he built the ark? Yeah. Second Peter two five says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So at the same time that he was building the ark. He was also trying to reach out to folks with what God had said to urge them to to take heed and to come into the boat. But uh, many would not, the majority would not heed his call. Let me ask you this. Was there a preacher of righteousness before Noah? Between Adam... And Noah, was there another man that preached righteousness? There you go. Turn over to Jude, Enoch. Enoch. Turn over to Jude just a minute. The book of Jude, all the way toward the end of the New Testament. Uh, Jude. Because we know, that, we know from Hebrews 11 that Enoch pleased God. And uh, he didn't have to experience death. God just took him. Okay. We know that from Genesis 5 and in Hebrews uh, 11. But notice this about Jude in verse uh, uh, 14. And uh, Jude 14. And to these also Enoch, who was the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Notice that. He prophesied. That is, he preached, he taught. Prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy angels to execute judgment upon all, and to convict all the ungodly of their works of ungodliness, which they have ungodly wrought, and of all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. How many times is the word ungodly used in that verse? Four times. Four times in one verse. There are some churches who have never used that word ungodly. Yeah. But here, Enoch, in his preaching, reaching out to that wicked world, he uses it four times in one verse. Okay. And so God, could God have, um, could he have um, impressed a, a feeling upon the hearts of the people leading up to the flood in Enoch's day and Noah's day? Well, he could have, but that's not his method. That's not his will uh, in, as he tries to impact people. That's not his will at all. 
And so leading up to the flood, God um, used his words uh, to try to impact uh, the world. Let's notice this also from Exodus 19 as God is forming the nation of Israel. Look over uh, in your Bibles to Exodus uh, chapter 19. You will remember Exodus 20, the giving of the Ten Commandments. God has brought his people uh, into the wilderness. He is forming a nation out of them. He's got a long way uh, to go. But um, he is doing this. Notice how he does this. Exodus 19. Says verse number three, Moses went up unto God, and Je- Jehovah God called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thou shalt, thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and you shall tell the children of Israel. Did God have the power to directly speak to all the children of Israel? Well, he did. He had the power to make an impact upon them in any way he chose, but notice. He calls Moses up on the mount. And he says, I want you to listen to me and then I want you to go tell them what I expect of them. Notice verse 5, Exodus 19. Now therefore, if you will... uh, Here's part of what he needed to tell them. Uh, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be mine own possession from among all peoples for all the earth is man. You shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then notice verse 7. Moses came and called for the elders of the people and set before them all the words. Notice this. He set before them all the words, all these words which the Lord Jehovah commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. Notice that just because the words of God go through a man doesn't make them any less powerful. Notice that the people look to what Moses said as the very word of God, even though it had not come from God directly, it came through a man, came through Moses. Still, they regarded it as the word of Jehovah, Jehovah God. And so notice just these little incidences, and we'll move on a little bit faster here, but notice God works through His Word in creation. God works through His Word at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. He worked through His Word by His preachers Enoch and Noah for sure, leading up to the times of the flood. Now He's working through His Word here as He forms the nation. Okay. One other uh, idea from Jeremiah chapter 1. <coughs> In your Bibles, jump over to Jeremiah uh, chapter 1. So, here, this is the period of history where God is trying to call His people back They had wandered now into idolatry. God had brought them into the promised land. He had warned them not to partake of the the, uh, heathen gods around them, but they 
did not heed his warnings. They had drifted into idolatry and many other evil practices. Now he is going to use his prophets to try to call them back or else they will suffer a captivity. He is calling Jeremiah to do just that here in chapter 1 of Jeremiah. Looking at Jeremiah 1, uh, verse, verse 8. God says to Jeremiah, Be not afraid because of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, Jeremiah said. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So he's going to send Jeremiah to the nation to, to spread his words. Why didn't God just bypass Jeremiah and speak to everyone directly? Why didn't God touch all the hearts of the people? Instead of just touching the mouth and touching the heart of Jeremiah, why didn't he touch everybody's heart and mouth? Well, he could have done that, but look, over and over again what we're going to be seeing is that God had a particular method in mind as he sought to impact his people and teach his people and to change his people and to bring his people back to him, he always has worked uh, through his word. All right. Having seen that, let's jump into the life of Christ and start in Matthew chapter 7 together. Matthew chapter 7. Notice the words of um, Matthew at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 28 and 29. It came to pass when Jesus had finished these words, when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were astonished at his teaching. This is primarily what Jesus was doing with his time. Every opportunity he had, he was teaching. The, he even taught while he was on the cross. He even taught people while he was on the way to the cross. Verse 29 says, He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So people could see that Jesus had a lot to share by way of teachings. And notice leading up to this in Matthew 7, 24 to 28, Jesus gives the little parable about a man who built his house upon the rock and then the man who built his house upon the sand. The main difference you'll see here between the man who was wise and the man who was foolish, uh, Jesus mentions this in Matthew 7, 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them shall be likened unto the wise man. But he that hears these words of mine and does not do them will be likened unto the foolish man who built his house upon the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And so in the life of Jesus, there's a great emphasis upon how God works through his words. Turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 16. Luke 16. You'll remember this account as the rich man and Lazarus. And Jesus, in a, in a marvelous way, sets up the afterlife for us. Very interesting study. Luke 16, 19 through 31. But we won't notice all of this. But just the end of the situation that Jesus is telling about, the rich man goes after he dies because he had not been righteous in his life. After he dies, Luke 16, the rich man, when he dies, he finds himself in torment. 
right after he died, he's in torments and he's suffering. Okay. What will the rich man ask for uh, God to do for him? Yeah. He wondered if maybe someone, he says, Luke 16, 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But no, that wasn't going to happen. Okay. So looking down to verse uh, 27, he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers there that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But then notice what it said by Abraham. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he came back and said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither shall they be persuaded, even if one rises from the dead. That's a tremendous emphasis upon how God works through His Word. Works through His Word. Now let's move from this to two important segments of life. And that is in becoming a Christian and in staying as a Christian. Maintaining faith as a Christian. Look how God uses His Word in both of those uh, situations. So in becoming... Christian. Of course, we want to look quickly over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Notice Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2.14. Acts 2.14. Peter standing up with the eleven. We're in Acts chapter 2. 14. Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and spoke forth Notice this, he lifted up his voice and he spoke forth unto them, saying. Now Peter and the other apostles had been baptized on this occasion by the Holy Spirit. But God does not baptize everybody in the Holy Spirit. It's not his will. He could. Okay? He has the power. He has the where. There's no limitations to what God could do. But our job is not just to wonder about what God could do. But we must find out what God is doing and what God has done and what he, he will do. Okay. And so in becoming a Christian, notice that though Peter had received a miraculous endowment of the Holy Spirit, still, he doesn't, that, that's not brought to all the people. That was just simply brought to Peter so he'd have the ability to speak the words of God. So notice it says, Peter stood up among them and spoke unto them. Skip down to verse 22. Acts 2.22, Peter says, You men of Israel, hear these, what? Hear these words. And then he starts in on Jesus and his life and how Jesus connects to all these Old Testament prophecies, even the very resurrection, even the very ascension of Jesus up to the right hand of God was prophesied about in the, in the Psalms and, and other places. And then notice he comes down to Acts 2 and 36. And he said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know as surely this Jesus, whom you crucified God, has made both Lord and Christ. Then what's the first words out of verse 37? Hmm? When they, what? Notice that. 
when they hurt, not when they felt something, but when they heard these words. It says they were pricked in the heart. And they asked, what shall we do? And of course, Peter gives the answer there in verse 38, which is why we refer to this so often, but it's so plain and so necessary uh, for us to do this. And we're thankful to have these words here recorded for us. Let me ask you this. Did these words spoken by Peter have the intended impact that God had designed them to have? Yes, it did. Notice in verse uh, 41, they that gladly received his word were baptized, and there were added unto them that day about 3,000 souls So God designed that these words would have the impact, instruct, and change. How would God change men's hearts? He would use His Word. And that's not a lot different than what He had been doing all this time in creation with Adam and Eve and the time before the flood, the time after the flood, when He created a nation, when He called His nation out of idolatry and warned them about captivity every time He's using his word. When Jesus comes onto the scene, comes to the earth, he, people are astonished at his teaching. And Jesus promised that Peter and the other apostles would receive the Holy Spirit so they could continue to teach the very words of Jesus himself. Notice in Acts 2 verse 40, it says, with many other words, notice this, With many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Turn over in your Bibles to Acts 18. Acts 18. The apostles were taking the words of Jesus, and other people were too, and they were taking the Great Commission seriously, so we find them here. Paul and company uh, in the city of Corinth, Acts 18. Notice Acts 18, verse 8. Acts 18, verse 8. It says, Crispus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, he believed in the Lord with all of his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Notice how it gets started. By hearing. Hearing what? Hearing hearing the words of God. Hearing, which created the belief. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Hearing, which created the belief which then created such a belief that they wanted to do what God said to do. So Acts 18, verse 8. Jump back to Acts 16 with Lydia. Paul comes to Philippi and finds Lydia with a group of ladies out by the river. And notice verse, of course Paul's going to sit down and speak to them. Acts 16, 13, he sits down and speaks to them. And then Acts 14, a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, one that worshipped God, she heard us whose heart the Lord opened and she gave heed to the things that, we, that, we were, that were spoken by Paul. And then she was baptized, verse 16, in all of her household. Okay. How did this happen? First, notice the order. The order of things is very important. First, Paul sat down and spoke to them. Okay. Then, Lydia heard. 
And then, from that hearing of God's word, her heart was open. Very similar to Acts 2. Peter speaks. The people are pricked in their heart. They hear what Peter speaks. They're pricked in their heart, and they ask, what shall we do? Very similar order everywhere you go. So they hear, and then heart is open. And then when her heart's open, she gives heed. That's the same thing as obeying. And part of that obedience was her baptism with the rest of her household in verse uh, number 15. You see that. Now go back to Acts chapter 8 and notice, fill it with the eunuch. And the eunuch is, of course, reading from Isaiah 53. Notice Acts 8.35. Acts chapter 8.35. Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water and the eunuch said, Behold, here is water what does hinder me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stand still. And he said, if you believe in your heart, then you may. He says, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He commanded the chariot to stand still. And they both went down into the water. Both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Then he came up out of the water. The Lord sent Philip a different place, but the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. I wonder why he was so happy. Well, he listened to what Philip said. Philip started with the same scripture. They're discussing words. They're discussing words. God is still working uh, through his words. Now, true enough, true enough, God spoke to Philip to get him in the area of where the unit was traveling. He doesn't do that today, but he did it in those days. But God did not speak directly to the eunuch to give him salvation instructions. God never, even in the times of miracles, God would not speak directly to the sinner to give him what he needed to do to respond to the cross. It always came through another person, always using uh, the words. The words. We were discussing a little bit with Ananias and conversion of Saul of Tarsus. If you look at Acts chapter 9, On that road to Damascus, Jesus appears to Saul. Verse 5, Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Now, some of our religious friends say since Saul called him Lord, right there, then he was, he was automatically saved from his sins right there on that road because he called him Lord. Okay. But what do you say about that? Well, notice what he, but he's asking a question. Sometimes the word Lord is just used like we, we use the word sir. I believe that's what Saul is doing here. Because evidently by his question, Saul doesn't know who he's dealing with. Who are you, Lord? Okay. That doesn't sound like somebody's being converted, does it? Okay. Who are you, Lord? Now later, Saul is going to know the Lord. But at this point, he doesn't know the Lord. So what happened? Acts 9 and verse uh, 5. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Arise, enter into the city, and what? What does verse 6 say? It shall be told thee what thou must do. And so, notice that the words of salvation is going to come through Ananias in the city of Damascus. This is an incredible thing Paul is experiencing here on the road to Damascus. 
the Lord Jesus and His glory Himself is appearing to him. But unless he follows these instructions and goes into the city and waits on Ananias to come, he will never be safe from his sins. And so Acts 22 tells it just a hair different. Paul is remembering it himself as he stands before his Jewish brethren. If you look at Acts 22, uh, let's see... Um, Verse 8, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And um, then, ver- then Saul asked, verse 10, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said, Arise, go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. So he would be told what he must do. Now, what about living as a Christian. When we become a Christian, does the Word of God lose its power? Does God stop using His Word to impact us as we grow as Christians, or does He continue to use His Word? What's the answer to that? Continue. In the sense, uh, Miss Julia is saying, after you become a Christian, then you start, you're able to learn the Word better. In the sense that you have opened up your heart. Okay. And you're continuing to do that. Then you will keep on learning God's Word. So the impact in the Christian life, let's look at one verse before our time runs out. 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2. Let's have someone read for us. 1 Peter 2, verses 1 and 2. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, guile, hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as ye will engage, desire to submit to sincere and open words that you may grow thereby. Okay, once again, Mark, real loud. Especially, um, notice verses 1 and 2, 1 Peter 2. Uh, let's do it. I mean, you read that really good, but just a little bit louder. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. So, how is it that we're going to be able to continue to put away all the evil speaking and the malice and the guile and all those other evil things mentioned there in First Peter 2, verse 1? Peter follows that up in verse 2 and says, you've got to desire the sincere milk of the Word. It's the Word. It's the Word. Have you ever had somebody come to you and say, I've been studying God's Word every day. I've been praying to the Lord every day. And I've been trying to do His will and put Him first in my life every day. But I'm struggling with sin. Have you ever had anybody come and say that to you? It's usually very opposite. If someone comes and says, I'm struggling with sin, I'm struggling with doubt, and then you inquire and say, well, how much much time have you had to read God's Word? And most of the time, it's a situation where I've just not not, uh, done that. I'm just not in the habit of of doing that. 
And so Peter gives us the formula uh, there. Okay. So we just want to make this emphasis tonight. I know you already know this, but it's really good for us to go back and to review how that God always works through his word. And we see that he does. Little boy said, I know the Bible from, from generations to revolutions. You know. But we see that from Genesis to Revelation, uh, over and over again, we just gave a smidgen of the examples. Uh, uh, I asked Christopher uh, to put the clock on the back monitor back there, and I was, as the clock was moving, I was skipping a lot of, of messages from the Old Testament just so we could cover uh, some examples from old and new. But uh, that's just God's emphasis that he has uh, given us. Okay. God has a remarkable power, and nothing is limited to him. But we also have to notice how it is that he has worked to change the earth, change man- mankind. We'll take just a few minutes break.